Welcome to the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada, a podcast about ex-cadet women mentoring and building community together. I'm your host, Amanda Calhouse, a graduate of the Royal Military College of Canada, class of 1994 in electrical engineering. Okay, good morning. Today I have with me on the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada podcast, Anne Reifenstein. Welcome, Anne. Thanks very much, Amanda. I'm really excited to be here. I, I have to tell you, uh, a few people had actually suggested to me, hey, do you know Anne Reifenstein? You should have her on the podcast. And I thought, oh, I actually don't know Anne Reifenstein, but I know someone who might. So let me reach out to her husband. <laughs> exactly. So, thank you for, for agreeing to come on the podcast. Yeah, no problem at all. Okay, so we'll get right into it. And you can tell our listeners a little bit about where you attended university and which programs and your sort of connection back to military college. Okay, well, I, I'm kind of in a funny case because I actually didn't graduate university the first time around. I kind of dropped out. <laughs> it wasn't for me. It wasn't a good That's fit okay. at that time. And I went, I went and worked construction for a while. And I actually didn't get my university degree. And I got it from RMC, but I didn't get it until after I had like, been serving for 10 years in the military. So yeah. I got it as a captain in 2000. I was really lucky and I was able to go back to school as a captain and sit in the class with the officer cadets and oh, you know, wow. the fourth year officer cadets and, and take classes with them. So it was a really eye-opening experience. I think it was, you know, I didn't have any of the stress of, of being a cadet, but I kind of like got the academic side, a little bit of the academic side. And it was fun. I got to talk with a whole bunch of really wonderful young people. So that was great. Oh, very cool. I imagine you must have maintained connections to some of them throughout your career then. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I was in a class with uh, Jen Causey and um, oh. Kathy Hare. I, I remember them. And so it was fun seeing how well that they did in their careers and, and continue to yeah. you know, be doing wonderful things in wonderful their careers. Wonderful things. So, it's it's really fun to 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 see how they've progressed. Oh, that's so cool! And that's not the only academic endeavor you've had since then. I, I feel like you got off to a slow start, and then you like made up for lost time. Yeah, definitely a late bloomer. I was really really fortunate throughout my military career. Like that, I got that opportunity in 2000. And then I got my master's in defense study through staff college and enjoyed that so much. Decided to go back to school and do a master's in business administration. Woot woot. And <laughs> the military luckily paid for that one too. And then I kind of finished off at the end of my career. I started doing a part-time bachelor of education, specializing in adult education. And of course, right now I'm continuing to be a student because I'm doing my doctorate in business administration. That's amazing. I, I was just reading something this morning about, I think Microsoft just surpassed Apple as the, the most valuable business. And they, one of the things the article attributed it to was perspective on, you know, always learning. Like Microsoft used to have a culture of know-it-all. And in the last 10 years, they've changed to a culture of learn-it-all. And, you know, so I think, you know, you sort of are embracing that, that notion of like always learning, right? Yeah, I, I I really enjoy school. You know, like it, yeah. it comes down to I really it's so much better than working. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so and I and I was really fortunate because the military gave me an opportunity to work in a variety of 
different kind of academic sort of areas, as well as, you know, in training and education, like, you know, teaching yeah. courses and stuff like that. Super fun. And I really liked it. So the more I saw, the more I enjoyed. So I kind of kept leaning in to seeing what opportunities could I get. Yeah. So oh, that's I was, very cool. I was really fortunate. So, I, I mean, I kind of got you talking about a little bit, but what are you doing these days that sort of fill your days? Yeah, so right now I am a full-time student doing my doctorate in business administration. And then I'm also teaching, though, at Loyalist College um, in their business department, teaching a couple courses there. And I continue to keep my hand in teaching here and there a variety of contract positions. I'm not interested in doing another career in academia. I'm more, right. I really enjoy teaching. I like being in the classroom with the students. It's, that's fun for yeah. me. And so I'm, I'm able to, to do that. So that's how I kind of fill my days. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, tell us a little bit about your your career in the military. What what prompted you to join up in the first place, and you know what how you know what occupation did you have? Okay, so I um, I was so after I left school, I was working a bunch of different jobs, and I ended up working construction. But I was in Northern Ontario and I wanted to see something beyond Northern Ontario. <laughs> and I wanted to get out and had an adventure. And I'd, I'd been in Army cadets, so I had you know some okay. notion of the military. So I knew it was out there as an option. So I ended up enrolling in 1989 and I ended up joining the artillery. Um, wow. And I was an artillery officer for the duration of my career. So it was right after they just opened up all of the occupations to women right? after the Human Rights Tribunal came down. So th that was really kind of, you know, I thought, hey, that sounds like a cool opportunity, not yeah. really knowing anything about what I was getting into. Like, you know, yeah. there's a certain amount of naivety and just dumb, you know, oh. but hey... <laughs> Dumb enthusiasm can kind of get you through a lot of stuff. So it can. It that, can. That was kind of that was kind of my my okay, I'm gonna join the military. And and I enjoyed it for the most part. You know, like there was some some good stuff. So yeah. that the good stuff kept me going. It's so funny. I've talked to quite a few people who, you know, joined up around the same time. Obviously, you know, classmates of mine would have joined in 1990 as well. And I feel like I forget that I don't think I knew that, like, the pilot class, like, so I went Air Force. I, I, I don't know that I knew that the pilot classification wasn't actually open to women until the year before I applied. Like, it wasn't, like, the only reason I even knew about, you know, becoming a pilot in the Air Force is because my mom's best friend, her two sons, were in Air Cadets out in New Brunswick. And so I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And then I never, like, I learned about that when I was young and then never did anything about it till high school. Like grade 13, I joined Air Cadets. But I joined with the intention of, like, I want to go to RMC and I want to be a pilot. Now, I failed air crew selection, so that's beside the point. But, like, it didn't even occur to me until, like, this moment that it wouldn't even have been an option two years earlier, I'm not sure, actually, when Pilot opened It up. was the same year. Yeah, it was the same Lee's, year, right? Isn't I think Lise Bourgon was one of the first... Um, she yeah. was one of the first pilots, but through the military college system. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Interesting. 
And she graduated in, oh, but then you're right, because she graduated in 87. So maybe it was a little bit earlier for... What, Lee's? No, no Lee's, 92. Lee's. She started in 92. 87. Yeah, yeah. She started in 87. She, yeah, that's what it was. She graduated in 92. In 92, yeah. So, yeah, I think she was one of the, if not the first, one of one of the first. I think the only ones that would have been sooner would have been direct entry. Yeah, I don't know. I know that there were there was a big hoo hurrah about the first woman as CF to eighteen pilots. That's for sure. The Debra Sir and, and Debra Sir. Yeah, yes, I met yeah. her in October. Oh, cool. Yeah, 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 it was very cool. Anyway, yeah, it's just interesting to think about something you you go into and sign up for, not not necessarily knowing what it'll entail. I guess in in terms of being in the artillery as the first woman, how did your path differ from what you might have expected from your career? Again, I really didn't give it, you know, if I had given it any real thought, I -hmm. probably wouldn't have done it. But because it was like, hey, let's do this. This sounds like fun. It's an adventure. Away we go. It was, it was kind of, it was definitely, there was some, there was it was a bumpy road. It was yeah. a very bumpy road. You know, there it wasn't a very welcoming environment, both at the combat training center and in the unit. You know, mm. it, it wasn't yeah. terrible, but it wasn't. You know, there were a lot of people who had a hardship with me being there. Right. And I think I think I wasn't prepared for the isolation. I thought so. I thought I knew training was going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. But I honestly thought once you actually kind of went through the training and you kind of showed that you weren't, you know, there for performative reasons, like you were there because you wanted to do a job, that that would be good and everybody would be okay with that. And and a lot of people were, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people weren't as well. And that made it, that it was a bumpy road. It was a bumpy road. And then, you know, that really shaped how I interacted with people because I had, you know, I... I was very much defensive and I was very much trying to conform to something that would be accepted by right. by the majority of my peers. And and in doing so, I kind of, you know, I was doing things that probably weren't a great fit for me. You know, I figured mm-hmm. if I was very hardline and very, you know, no softness, no weakness, no kindness, because that was all, you know, right. that would just undermine my ability because that's what people expected from me. Right. So if I if I was really, you know... I don't want to say tough, but but really yeah. kind of like hard, hard nose. It's okay. You can everything. swear on this podcast. Well, I'll just I? rate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wasn't, <laughs> it, it wasn't about being a bitch. It was about being, it was about being a hard ass. And if you were a hard ass, then people yeah. would respect you. And, and, and so that's what, it, that's, you know, essentially that's what I, you know, the tact I took. And, and, and the difficulty was, as I look back, I guess it's my only regret about my career mm-hmm. Is there okay. were opportunities where I could have exercised kindness and I didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was actually a leadership failure on mm-hmm. my part. Um, and, and so I have particular moments I look back on and go, you know, that was, that was a leadership fail for me. Mm-hmm. Because kindness is an important part of being a leader. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it is fine to be firm but fair kind of thing. Right. But to be unyielding and to be unkind was something and, and it didn't feel good when I was doing it either. Right. It probably it wasn't anyways. your true self. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, so I think, I think that's one of the things I found very, well, one of the challenges of my career is that, you know, was I really being a, an authentic leader 
And, right. and I would suggest probably for a large portion of my career, certainly the portion of my career that I spent in the operational side of the military, I wasn't. Right. Because I was trying so hard to fit in and get along and be accepted. And I think that kind of shaped me a little bit. Yeah. So, so I have to say that that's probably one of the things on my pathway that I've learned, you know, like I can't go back and redo, but, but, you know, I can certainly, doesn't mean I can't be a good kind leader now. Right. You know? So, yeah. you know, if I am talking about leadership with, you know, um, young leaders, I do talk about the importance of being yourself mm-hmm. and also of being kind, not, not, weak or, or, you know, um, giving in to everything. It doesn't mean that. You can be firm and fair, but kindness goes a long way yeah. as a leader. It, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've found too, you know, in, uh, especially talking to women of different generations where you can start to see that there has been a shift and continues to be a shift from that notion of needing to do whatever it takes to fit in versus being able to be yourself and still being accepted. And I think it's like the assimilation versus integration sort of idea. Yeah, I think so. I also think that the military has fundamentally changed. Sorry, so yeah. I think the military has fundamentally changed in terms of how they see, how they want leaders to act. And, you know, yeah. we're talking about things like empathy and we're talking things about emotional intelligence and we're talking about all of these things that, you know, 20 years ago, nobody, you know, like this wasn't even on the, you know, wasn't it wasn't on the, on the radar. radar. <laughs> you know, like it was just like, suck it up, buttercup, let's go. You know, yes. <laughs> so... I think that is an evolution of understanding in terms of how to lead people and how how to effectively lead people, um, you know. And as as I think as as you know, we have as the Canadian Forces evolves as an organization, I think it it's you know and needs to attract people. This is a factor, right? You know that that kind of toxic, you know, my way or the highway leadership is no longer being accepted by followers. They're like, nope, no thanks. I think the same is true outside the military as well. I I do think just what's accepted as leadership in general has changed. And maybe I wouldn't be able to speak to whether the military was, you know, ahead or behind that curve. But I suspect that, you know, you're not going to get leaders coming in or people coming in to be leaders if you're not sort of matching the, the leadership ideals of the society at large as they do change. I think that's it right there. And, and, and I think the difficulty is, is a lot of people conflate this type of leadership with weakness, like being a weak mm, leader. And, it, yeah. and, and in fact, it's not weak, like yeah. at all. You can still be a hard ass, if you will, and, yeah. and, and be kind. And very effective. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, I think that's something that we're, we're finally coming around to and understanding um, in, in terms of the leadership leadership as a piece. And I think that, you know, the, the rise of understanding of what toxic leadership is mm-hmm. has really been a factor in that. You know, yeah. taking a look at what is a toxic leader? Why aren't these organizations working? And, and there's been a lot of work in... Uh, a lot of research in the area of academia in terms of that, why aren't certain types of leadership styles effective? And maybe they weren't ever effective. They might not ever have been, yeah. yeah. You know, maybe maybe that was something that, you know, we weren't optimizing our workforce yeah. at that point in time and we just didn't know it. Anyways, yeah. 
it's one of those things that, like I said, when I talk with with young people or or you know people who are still in the courses and they they ask about do I have any regrets or what things I would do differently, and that that's actually one of them is okay. I would actually seek to be a more authentic leader, and I I look to make sure that when I was treating people, I was using kindness as yeah. a part of my leadership style. Well, I, I appreciate the openness and the honesty that you're, you're sharing with our listeners, because I think people can learn from that as well. Hmm. So tell us a little bit about, you know, sort of where you served, sort of what did your path look like? And where, what were some of the different things you did? And, and uh, when did you leave the forces? I had a really interesting path. I went out to Shiloh and I was a member of the 3rd Regiment Royal Canadian Horse Artillery for my first posting. Um, that's no longer a unit. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist. It's changed to the 1st Regiment Royal Canadian Horse Artillery now. Um, but I did two postings in Shiloh, both five years each. Oh, wow. But, you know, I was really lucky to to be able to go to Avalanche Control and do those types mm. of things. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Loved the mountains and, and those pieces. Did a stint in Calgary. Uh, that was back when where the brigade headquarters was located, way back when. Right. Just That's a signal of how old I am um, or how long ago that was. And so I kind of did all those regimental things. And then I came to Kingston. And I worked at uh, the 1K in division headquarters. Did a, did a couple deployments with them, both domestic and international. And then went back to Shiloh and then came back to Kingston again. And I was really lucky that after I was a battery commander, I was able to come and be staff at RMC. And that was Mm -hmm. such a great posting. Because at that point, I was pretty tired. I had two kids under three. Uh, (laughs) So I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old when we moved. No, a five-year-old and a... Anyways, they were both really young. Anyway, they were very busy. Very busy children. And uh, my husband and I were both, you know, serving. And we managed to be in the same place. But the Royal Military College was awesome. Mm -hmm. It was a great posting to be on staff there because I got exposed to a whole bunch of really, really smart, motivated, and really enthusiastic about being members of the Canadian Forces. And it was really mm. refreshing. Like, you know, yeah. because the thing is, after a while, you know, if you spend a lot of time in the sometimes some cynicism can creep in, you know, like it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, you, you go to RMC and everyone's just so enthusiastic about being there mm. <laughs> you know, on the whole. Yeah. And it was really fun. It was, it, was a, it was a great experience. It was a grueling job. The hours were, you know, Horrendous. I think it's one of the reasons why neither of my kids actually ended up going to RMC is because they got taken there, you know, because daycare right. and, and, and I worked evenings and they would, they would, you know, my husband traveled with his job. So I was, you know, daycare doesn't take kids at, you know, 6 a.m. And that's when PT starts and that's when I need to be there. So come on, kids, we're going to PT. You know, I'd park them in the van with a movie and some breakfast. And then I'd, you know, run around a little bit to see, make sure everything was going okay, you know, during recruit term and all that. It was, it was, um, so, so, you know, my kids... We'd walk the obstacle course in the evenings during the setups and the kids would be there for that. You know, it's like, explain this to my five-year-olds and if she understands, then probably exhausted, burnt out first-year officer cadets might get 50% (laughs) of what you're saying. So like, you know, 
And, yep. and and that's not a slag on anybody. That's just you no, know, no. Anyone who's exhausted. tired and drained is <laughs> not working at their full mental load. You know, so uh, they were exposed to that. So it was it was long hours. Every I, I counted it up. It was like at that point um, we worked the long weekends as military weekends, and oh, so wow. it meant that we worked all the long. Like it was like oh. at another long weekend. I am now working awesome. But but it was super fun and I enjoyed it. And so I probably talked too much about that. But anyways, RMC. Uh, After RMC, I went to staff college and then I did an NDHQ tour. I worked in chief of program at NDHQ in the vice chief defense staff area doing a bunch of stuff there. I was there for about three years full time and then I went and did my MBA. But I kind of did a little bit of work as well um, with them during my MBA. And then I got this opportunity to go down to the U.S. and teach at the Command and General Staff College in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. And that was awesome. Yeah. Just (laughs) a great posting. And that's kind of what started me on the teaching and education and academia role. So how did that sort of come about? Like, were you already sort of interested in teaching or did they just say, hey, your next posting, you're going to (laughs) teach? So I got a call on my, um, you know, well, I was on my MBA and the career manager said, hey, I've got two lieutenant colonel positions open in Leavenworth and both you and John said you wanted to do an outcan. So would you go to Kansas? And it's like, uh, let me talk. To my husband, <laughs> yeah. and we weren't we were we weren't living in the same city at that point. He was oh, in Edmonton, and I was in Ottawa. So you know, time zones and everything else. So we talked it over and said, "Should we go?" And the answer was, "Sounds like a great adventure." So yeah, let's go. So we did. Awesome. Talked to the kids. Said, "How do you feel about moving to the U.S.?" And they kind of looked at me and went, "Eh." It's <laughs> like it'll be fun. And they're like, <laughs> "Okay." Sold them on it, and away we went. Awesome. So, yeah, it was. And that was your first foray into teaching? Well, yeah, in in a fully academic kind of environment, yeah. Yeah. You know, I've been a student at Staff College, but I hadn't been on staff. So it was, so, but it's a bit different in the U.S. because you're not staff, you're actually faculty. Oh, wow. And so you come in as an instructor and they they call it themselves the U.S. Army University. And Ah. you come in as a you come in as a, an instructor and then as you publish and as you do all the extra stuff and get more experience and get more credentialing and all the rest of it, you know, you can increase your academic rank. Oh, so wow. I left there as an assistant professor. I, I, you know, put my portfolios in and all the rest of the stuff, wrote, got published, oh, wow. represented, represented the Command and General Staff College of the U.S. Army at a bunch of academic symposiums and stuff yeah. like that, which was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was fortunate enough to be able to be down there long enough to do that. And uh, it was a great experience. Great experience. Great people. Just such a great group of people to work with. And Kansas is a really interesting place. Like, it was really interesting. Like, it was um, familiar enough where it wasn't really that weird, but different enough where it was just like, whoa. You, know, <laughs> you kept saying, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> you know, no, but we are in Kansas. Um, it, was, it was really, it was an experience, you know, guns, caught and barbecue. Um, it mm. was, yeah, we learned how to smoke bar- really good barbecue while we were down there. Yeah. A smoker. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> 
you know, when you mentioned Kansas and I was looking at my map, I'm like, it's almost in the middle of the U.S. So it allowed you to do a, a little bit of exploring, I guess, as well while you were there. Oh, yeah, we did some great trips. We, uh, you know, it, and it was one of those things where we got to travel, um, you know, it, we toured the southwest of the U.S. and spent like three weeks exploring, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Nevada, Colorado, you know, like like just wow. huge swaths. And Places then we you can't Cal- really get to easily from southern Ontario or... <laughs> yeah, well, you do that when you're retired, right? But it was fun because we were, our kids were at a great age to do that type of travel. They were still, you know, not, you know, they hadn't really um, hit the full teen I want nothing to do with you thing <laughs> era of being a kid. So it was it was really great. We went and explored and we just, everybody would pick the things that they wanted to accomplish. You know, one of my daughters said, you know, I want to go and do a buffet at, in Las Vegas. It's like, all right, we're oh. going to do a Las Vegas buffet then. <laughs> so we <laughs> stopped in Las Vegas and had like this, went to this like $80 a person buffet, but it was like, and I said, and we're going to sit here and we're going to eat for at least two hours. Yeah. So like, this, this is not like, I'm full. This is like, pace yourself. Okay? This is like we're the gonna, only meal this, you're eating today. <laughs> exactly. Like, here's a granola bar. No more food until we hit the buffet. And then we're yeah. not eating again afterwards. So, yeah. you know, make the most of it. <laughs> it was fun. You know, oh, like, so fun. we were able to do all sorts of things like that. And that was, it was, a, like I said, it was a really great experience. It was very much the highlight of my career, I think. Um, you know, probably some of my fondest, though I enjoyed serving and being a battery commander and doing all the good army things. I think I had probably the most fun personally when right. I was down in the U.S. And, and one of the interesting things about that was because there was no baggage. You know, you came in clean slate. Like right. you didn't, nobody, nobody knew, knew you. you. You didn't have a reputation. You know, like there was no, right. oh, I know all about her or she did this or nope. Because the, the Canadian military is so small. It's, yes. it's, it's everybody knows everybody or everybody knows somebody who knows somebody, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's no six degrees of separation. There's like three, maybe two. And that's the you only know. reason I can do this podcast is because there's only two degrees of separation. Everybody knows everybody. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And so it was really refreshing to kind of walk in with a clean slate right. with a lot of people and just say, here, this is me and this is what I'm bringing to the table. And, and, and you know, people just saying, okay, that's great. Let's, yeah. let's see what you got. And it was fun. It was fun. Oh, that's fantastic. So after teaching in Kansas, did you get to do more of that when you came back to Canada? Yeah, I went to the Canadian Forces College in Toronto. Um, my okay. husband and I both did. And, you know, did a little bit of, of, of work as directing staff there and then moved into curriculum development, which is, sure. which is something I wanted to do and, and do some writing about how to, you know, at that point I was started doing my degree in education focusing on adult education. So how do we teach? How do adults learn? How right. do we how, what's the what's the theory and the science and the research about that? Because I realize, you know, I'm really interested in this, but I don't have a really great foundation. I think mm-hmm. I know what works, but I don't really understand the fundamentals of it. So I went back to school to learn them. And I got a degree through Brock University and it was it was fabulous. Fabulously informative. And then mm. after a couple of years, that was enough for me. I, I just said, you know, I think I'm good to go. We were offered an opportunity 
we were in Toronto and in Toronto, it was even with, at that point we were still getting, um, assistance, you know, mm, living, right. the, the, the housing PLD. type allowance. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but, but, you know, our house that we were renting was a dump and it was like mm. 4,500 bucks a month. And it's just yeah. like, okay, we can't continue to shovel this kind of money out the door. You know, right. so, you know, we went to the career manager and said, hey, are you planning on keeping us in Toronto? Like if you keep us in Toronto for another five or six years, we'll stay, but we're going to buy a house, yeah. right? Like that's it. Or are you going to post us? And if you're going to post us, post us now. Do it now. And, you know, yeah. yeah. So we said, where do you want to be posted? And we, you know, my husband and I, ha ha, let's, let's, let, you know, so London, <laughs> New York, you know, Calgary, you know, all places that are like, yeah, whatever. And uh, he came back to us and said, how about Belgium? And hmm. we went, but everybody said, there's only one, one spot. Hmm. And I talked to my branch and they were like, mm, leave without pay is not really feasible. So it's like, okay, well, you know, I was ready to go anyways. So yeah. Yeah. So my husband got posted to Belgium. I took my retirement and we all moved overseas. It was fun. Awesome. So, yeah, it was. So that was a few years ago, and then now you're you're into the the full time doctorate program. Yeah, yeah. I, I took a couple of years. I finished off the bachelor of education, did some podcasting, did some teaching, and have continued to teach. Went back and worked for D and D as a public servant for a couple of years okay. in education, in future in examination of future learning. That was great but um, not something I wanted to do forever. And so kind of went, mm. yeah, decided I'm going to just teach and be a student. Just do those right. two things instead of trying to juggle three or four things at a time. So <laughs> that's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did listen to um, at least one episode of your podcast. Um, it was interesting. You were really focused on leadership in that podcast series. So how, how did you get into that? Um, so I was teaching um, CF555, which is their leadership course at okay. um, the Canadian Forces College. And uh, as, a, as a distance learning, uh, the distance learning um, joint command and staff program. Um, okay. As an instructor. And I was really trying to figure out a way that I could, you know, provide some insight to my students beyond just, a PowerPoint deck or writing. I wanted to um, be able to provide some sort of spoken piece, right? Okay. Well, I was looking around for other, you know, audio or other videos doing it on YouTube or whatever, or something that would fit what we were yeah. talking about. And I couldn't find stuff. Like I, there was all sorts of different snippets, but there wasn't stuff particular to what we were discussing. So I thought, you know what? I could probably make it. So I did. And mm -hmm. I did kind of uh, a couple iterations before I got to the actual podcast that I ended up putting out. Okay. And then it kind of just took on a life of its own for a little bit. And then I moved back to Canada. Oh, so you were doing that when you were in Belgium. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then I moved back to Canada and I was working full time. And there was a bit of a conflict of interest, I thought, there asking people to be you know, working in a particular position and then asking mm -hmm. if I could talk to you about something 
that's related to what I'm working on. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, you know, maybe I'll just step back from that. And then I started doing a bunch of internal work for the Canadian Forces College as part of my job. Right. Um, you know, developing courseware, audio courseware and some podcasts. And we tried a video podcast, which was, was traumatizing that? for me. That's honestly the reason I don't do, like, we're recording on Zoom for those who who are listening, but I don't ever post the Zoom video because... I guess I'm also of an age where I'm like, it's weird. <laughs> well, the problem is, is I realize I look like a Muppet on video because my eyeballs, I, I like, I've got a pretty expressive face yeah. and my eyeballs, like, I, seriously, I just, I looked at it and I was like, I look like a flipping giant Muppet and <laughs> not one of the attractive Muppets. <laughs> But one of the fozzy bear with the giant wiggly eyes or, you know, like animal with, you know, eyes going different ways. It's just like, oh, you know, I don't know if that's something. Well, I will say having been looking at you this whole time, all I noticed were your beautiful blue eyes. So it didn't look like a Muppet to me. (laughs) Well, I was feeling very Muppety. So it's just like, okay, yeah, no, that's that's thing. And then, and then the difficulty is, is that, you know, when you're doing a podcast, a large part of it is being a good listener, right? I know. Uh, when you're hosting yeah. it, which is awesome. You know, uh, you know, prodding people to tell their stories and then, you know. Sitting back and letting them. <laughs> sitting back and letting them go. And the thing is, is you have to show that, yeah, you're listening and you're encouraging. So you're sending body cues. And you're like, mm-hmm, nodding. And it's just like, I can't realize like, oh my gosh, I look like one of those birds that's going forward <laughs> and backwards because my, you know, I'm nodding all the time. It's like, so I have to, I have to like, you know, if for this video podcast, I was trying to like mix it up with facial expressions. So I was like, oh. like, like thinking about that, thinking about what the person was saying. And then it's just like, I I have so much respect now, so much respect for people who can do extemporaneous like interviews right in front of a camera and not look like me. You know, it's just like going, "Oh my gosh." Yeah, no. <laughs> no, that was just like so I we did we did it. We did six of them for the staff college. I'm hoping they're gonna be out of circulation and replaced by somebody professional, you know, you know <laughs> who doesn't look like a Muppet. I'm sure they're not as bad as you think they are. <laughs> well, I'm sure they're not, like because nobody yeah. else cares, right? No. But like, you know, no one else is seeing what I'm seeing, right? Yeah. Like they're probably just saying, Oh, strange bond lady, yeah, doing her thing, you know. And and whereas I'm like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? I hate that face. You know, it's just like, oh, that's painful. Painful. So anyways, Fair. good good learning experience. Um, and I was very fortunate that I didn't have to learn how to I had a I had a team who did put I just did the taping and then sent okay. them the the stuff and they put all it together. And they 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 made me look a lot better than what <laughs> I looked like. You know, the raw tape is just like, oh thank God they cut that bit out. <laughs> Uh, it's it's interesting to think about all of the new methods of learning and teaching. I actually recently started teaching myself, and it's the very traditional, like stand up in front of a class and deliver a PowerPoint presentation because it's for, you know, a third year engineering uh, class. And <laughs> I feel like teaching engineering has not changed since the <laughs> 34 years ago when I started at RMC. But 
I'm like, I feel like there are ways you could change this and you might be able to make it better. So when you talked about actually learning how people learn, I thought, yeah, that would definitely make you a much better teacher. (laughs) Yeah, you know, you don't have to do a degree in it. Like learning some really good nuggets. Like, for example, most people don't have more than 20 to 25 minutes worth of capacity in their working memory. That's about it. You got about 20 to 25 minutes and you're working. And then in order to move that, to clear it out, right? To, to move it into a long-term processing and, and into a longer-term memory so, it, so it's sticky, you need to use it. And once right. you start using it, it moves from one side of your brain to the other side of the brain and then goes into the long-term memory. I am not like a neurocognitive science and scientist and any way, shape, or form. Like, so you can tell by it moves. You're like, yeah, I'm sure it doesn't like, it makes it sound like somebody picks up the suitcases and moves them over. Yeah. But yeah. that's essentially so. So, you know, when I'm teaching, I try to not talk, like, not PowerPoint for more than about 20 to 25 minutes in a row. Wow. You know, I try and structure an activity or an interactive assignment or something where people are taking what we just talked about and even just talking to each other about it. What are the five things that you think are most important about what I just said? Go. You know, what do you want to take away? How about trying to solve this problem? Right. Okay, you got. You think you've got the answer? Talk to the person next to you. Did they get the same answer? All right, why don't you get up and move around and find everybody who got the same answer as you? You know? And by doing that, what it does is it takes the material out of, you know, does, it doesn't kick the stuff out and it empties out that working memory piece so you can actually start putting more stuff back in. And just knowing that, yeah, that right there is class structure. Yeah. And even, you know, in terms of meetings, right? Because I don't know about right. you, but when I hit the 25-minute point in a meeting, my brain goes, <laughs> and I right. start... I have laundry to do. You know, like, what should I make for dinner tonight? <laughs> Where, I wonder if, you know, like, so, like, yeah. you know, my brain has checked out and left the building kind of thing. Right. So that's one of those things to kind of, kind of always, unless, unless, of course, it's one of those meetings where you're actually engaged and you're the person talking. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, but yeah, so learn, learning certain pieces of how to keep people engaged, how to keep them interested. How to meet, how so they can remember better. So how, you know, retrieval exercises so people get those pathways of retrieval in their brains for materials. You know, that learning how to learn piece was really, really central to, you know, um, enjoying teaching all that much more. Yeah, I was just thinking, yeah, the enjoyment. It might, it, it would probably help you to enjoy the act of teaching even more. Yeah, because you can just experiment with it, right? Like yeah. so, it's 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 always like a little. I wonder if this will work, and <laughs> the answer is no. I've had some, I've done some in class activities where it's like, okay, thanks so much for indulging me in that. We won't do that again, right? <laughs> you know, my personal my personal favorite was when I thought I would create like you know uh, a sticky wall where everybody puts up their ideas of the five things they learned in class, write them on stickies, and then put them, and then we could group them as a thing. Okay, so great idea. Mm-hmm. I think it's still I think it's still valid. Here's the thing: you can't buy dollar store stickies to do it because oh. they don't stay because they don't stay stuck to the wall. Right. And they curl, and then you can't see what people have written. And then 
So you spend 50% of your time and then the walls have to be able to have things stuck to them. Right. Anyways, it turned in like, it was just like, oh, this is a goat radio. Cause every time somebody put up a sticky, a five more would fall onto the floor and it was just oh. like, yeah. Okay. So this isn't going to work. Yeah. So maybe we won't do that again. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. It's Note all about talk. the learning on both yeah, sides. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. But you know, at some point you just have to laugh and, and yeah. at least then, okay, everybody take a break. Laugh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm gonna pick up stickies for the next ten minutes and then we're right. good to go. <laughs> so I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and talk about mentorship. So I um I feel pretty confident in assuming that through your artillery career you did not have other women mentors to look up to, given that you were the first. But I'm curious, you know, whether I don't know about the army in general because I, I think the army itself would have had other women. But did, you know, what was your experience with with female mentorship or with mentorship in general? I think what was really interesting is I didn't have a woman as a peer until I went to RMC. Wow! So that was my first peer. Wow! That I interacted with on a regular place in the workplace. You know, I was never the only, only, only woman there, you know, there were women in the ranks, there were, yeah. you know, there were uh, women, you know, in other occupations and we were friendly and we talked about things from an artillery perspective and how to manage situations in the artillery. I didn't get a lot of guidance. I had to figure that out to some extent. In terms of making connections with other women, just because I was in Shiloh, I think I would have been a different experience if I'd been in Petawawa or Valcartier because there right. were bigger bases and there were other units there. But, right. you know, three RCHA and one RCHA, you know, at the times when I was there were the only units, you oh, know, wow. only okay. Canadian units in Shiloh, Manitoba. Uh. Um, so that really narrowed the circle in yeah. terms of who was available for mentoring. Yeah, I, I won't say that I wasn't mentored. There were there were, you know, some leaders who gave me good advice and and that, but there was nobody who like tucked me under their wing and said, Okay, you know, I'm gonna help you out, you know, and guide you and and tell you how this is gonna work. You know, yeah. to be fair, I don't think they understood either. No. You know, nobody knew how it was gonna work. So yeah. there wasn't much to do. It was like figure it out as you go along kind of thing. And it affected how I could mentor other people as well. Because mm. my experience was so singular, because it was singular in that I didn't work with other women. I didn't, you know, I, yeah. I had, I shouldn't say that because I actually had my roommate, Holly, who was artillery as well. She was in the regiment for a while and we were there together. And, and we'd sit and we'd talk and we'd try and figure stuff out. So it was like peer mentoring. Yeah. So it's, what's interesting is mentoring is a really important part of learning, Right. Mm. You know, it falls into the informal learning aspect of things. And it is, you know, they say that informal learning is, constitutes about 70% of workplace learning, right? So, yeah. so when you don't have that and you have to figure stuff out on your own, you know, like dumb stuff, like what does my mess kit look like? Mm. There, was no, oh. there was no design. There was no standard. There was nothing for, oh the, for an artillery woman's mess kit. Like, so oh, it was wow. like, okay. Uh, yeah, you can't get the spurs, can you? Because you were supposed to wear a skirt. Well, I don't, I don't even know if they thing? wore spurs. Well, I, I never worried about it. Um, yeah, no, no. I just, I, I'm like thinking the artillery. Wasn't that the one where the men? Do I wear a vest or do I wear a cummerbund? 
Oh. You know, um, do I, what do I wear with this? What do I wear with that? How does this work with this? How does it work with that? You know, so I had a skirt because pants weren't an option. Right. You know, but they could have been. They could have been. You know, it's just, it was just like, oh, woman, skirt. And it's like, oh, well, pants actually would have been a lot better in all honesty. Yeah. It was just little things like that that were, you know, it was cumulative, but you had nobody to ask, right? Right. So it was always kind of like, okay, well, what should I do for this? And and also cognizant that by making a decision, I was establishing something for the next person who came along, right? Right. So when you made a decision of this is what I'm going to wear with my uniform, it meant that, okay, so that's what people are going to wear for their uniform. Did you know that at the time? Like, were you cognitive of that at the time? Like, or did that happen over time where you started to realize that that's what it was? I'm just curious. To some extent, um, I knew that if I blew it, I blow it for everybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if I was terrible and I didn't, you know, if I didn't survive, it, it... reinforced yeah. the opinion that women didn't belong there. Yeah, yeah. So That's a lot of pressure. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, particularly yeah. when you don't know what you're doing, right? You're flopping <laughs> around. Yeah. Oh, I'll do this. I'll do yeah. that, you know. But, you know, um, so mentoring. You know, I got some good advice. I got some bad advice on the whole. But there was no formal type of, at no point did I feel, oh, I shall go and ask this person for advice on how, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, because I was so singular and so I tailored, tailored, and when I say that, I want to sound, I don't want to sound like I was so precious or so unique, you know, because I wasn't a unicorn. There were other women doing the same thing. But because we didn't have the internet, my God, if we'd had the internet then, oh my gosh, totally different experience, totally different. But because we didn't have that communication, you were, you know, you were in really isolated by yourself. Yeah. And you didn't see other women. You didn't talk to other female off- artillery officers. So you had no idea. Yeah. So I don't know if I could give good advice. Like, so, mm-hmm. so what do you wear to the mess? What do you wear in a mess? Do you wear a business suit with pants? Or do you wear, you know, when it's semi-formal, what kind of dress do you wear? Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And I dressed really frumpy. I wear a lot of really loose clothes. You know, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't accentuating the fact that I was a woman. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I wanted to wear, you know, stuff like that. And and that was a conscious decision, right? Right. You know, so when women would ask me, I'd say, oh, well, don't dress, you know, when you go to the mess, don't dress like this. And they're kind of looking at me going like, I'll dress however I want, you know? <laughs> Well, of course they will because they're you know like they, yes definitely but yeah. but in my head I'd I'd had a kind of a skewed experience and it took me a while you know I had to kind of get out of that Shiloh environment to see right. oh no I don't have to do that I can wear whatever I want right right you know, I can be me and people will deal right yeah so I think for the, I was very reluctant to be a mentor probably until I was a senior captain junior major and at that point I felt comfortable. Because I was at that point, I was comfortable. I was well established. I had a career. I was, you know, I yeah. was, I was, I, I felt good about where I was in my right. space. So then I felt comfortable about providing mentorship to other, 
young women, particularly those women who chosen to go in the army and particularly those who chosen to go in the artillery. Yeah. It's so funny. I think we forget, right, that, you know, there was a time without the internet <laughs> and when people just didn't have these connections. I still talk about like, you know, like, and I try to think about it. It's like, so what did we do at work all day without email? Yeah. You know, like we got work done. Like we did lots of stuff. The days were really full. That's because you had to type your memos. <laughs> no, no, we had to write well, you, out you had our to write memos them because the admins would type them. Because the clerk would write it, but you had a form you had to fill out, and it had to be absolutely exactly done right, or the clerk would throw it back at you and say, "This was not the right format. These are not the right references. This is not the." <laughs> it's like, right? Yeah, sorry, I, I'll fix it. <laughs> we go again. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, I don't think the advice I gave probably for the first couple of years based on my own experience, but once I kind of was able to step back from that experience and kind of say, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, no, this is, this is probably the better way to go. Then, then I think I could provide some level of advice and mentorship to people. And certainly when I went to RMC, I felt very comfortable mentoring that generation that was of young women that were going through into right. you know, the more operational trades in the army. I should say the more, uh, you know, into the, into the yeah, combat yeah. arms, the combat into arms. CTC. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, no, I, I felt fairly comfortable doing that at that point as a mentor. How has it been different in teaching and, you know, being a, a lecturer, a professor? Did you find, like, was it better? Was it worse? Was it different as a, in terms you know, of- in terms of mentorship, like, I'm always I'm curious because in academia you sometimes here there are equally problems with depending on the the faculty that you're a part of that it it's a little cutthroat at times as well because people are trying to get tenure track and things like that so I was just sort of curious what your you know if you saw mentorship in the things you've done since so I see mentorship very much and and mentoring relationship between um, my supervisor. Um, mm-hmm. For my doctorate, and oh, okay, so she acts as a mentor. Ah, um, okay, you know, so yeah. she mentors. You know, says, "Hey, have you thought about this? Are you looking at that?" And shares her experience. I did this. I did that. Maybe you want to check out this, and I can connect you with this other person. <laughs> that relationship is very much a mentorship relationship. In terms of the academia part, it's one of the reasons why I teach part time and why I'm at a college. Because uh-huh. I'm not trying to get a faculty position and I'm not a full-time, you know, so uh, I don't have to, de- I, I know that, that, that those, those types of things go on, but they're not touching me. I, right. My sole focus is crowbarring my students through that course uh, in the best way possible and making sure that they have a fun and interesting experience in my classroom. <laughs> that's, that's my goal. That's cool. You know, and I enjoy that. Definitely. You know, I, my brother-in-law is a prof. Okay. Or a tenured prof. And I hear all the stories from him and I'm just like, whoa, no, 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 no. Yeah. That's not my, that's not my jam. I don't want, at this point in my career yeah. or at this point in my life. In life, yeah. I don't want a career that involves that type of, that type of pieces. But it's, okay. it's really interesting. It's, it's, it's a very different dynamic than the military. Yeah. But it's it's still a fun one as well, and like I said, I'm I feel very fortunate that I've got a really great supervisor, 
who acts as my mentor. She's great. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting at this point to have a mentoring, a mentor-mentee relationship in my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of nice, oh, actually. That's awesome. All right. So as we wrap up here, I'm going to ask, is there advice that you would like to give others? Career, life, teaching, not, (laughs) anything. You know, I'd like to say, you know, a lot of people have said to me, it's too late for me to go back to school. And I got to tell you, it's never too late to go back to school. You're always going to get something out of your experience. And All I can say to folks is, you know, school is not the same as when you did your undergraduate or maybe even that master's. It is constantly evolving and constantly changing. You know, it's such a great experience to meet up with a bunch of people who are interested and passionate about learning. And if you Mm -hmm. can hit a group like that, it's really enriching. Um, so I guess I'd say to folks is it's such an important part and enriching part of my military career and also in my post-military career is always take that time and try to seize those opportunities when they, when they open themselves up. You know, don't be afraid that it's too late, you know, because it's, yeah. like it's, it's never too late. You can always learn. I, I have in my doctoral program, I have people who are much older than me who've decided that this is how they're going to invest their time. And wow. you know what? It's yeah. really enriching. It's really enriching. So it's about making your life better is just keep committing to learning as you go. I think that's fantastic advice. And I think we will leave our listeners with that. I think learning, you know, we talked a little bit, well, we talked quite a bit about learning. And I think the idea of it's never too late, I think is a great one to leave on. So thank you so much, Anne, for joining us today on the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada podcast. I really appreciate you joining us. That's great, Amanda. Thanks very much. I really had fun. Thank you for joining us today on the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada podcast. Check out our new website at wmncanada.ca to find links to all our previous seasons and episodes. We've also added a blog where we'll keep you updated on upcoming news and events and give you a chance to leave comments about each episode. For links to websites mentioned on today's episode, please go to the episode notes page under Season 4 and check out the episode number. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, please send an email through the Be A Guest link on the top of our website. Thanks for listening.